West Side. It is good to be back with you. I am Jonathan Clark. I'm a campus minister at Murray State University Baptist Campus Ministry, or if you're from another generation, Baptist Student Union. I am uh, grateful to Merrick for the invitation to be here this morning. Uh, when talking to him earlier in the week uh, at the invitation, he said, maybe nobody will notice since we look so much alike. I said, oh, they'll definitely notice because the sermon won't be nearly as good as one of yours. Uh, I know that you are grateful to have Merrick uh, in this pulpit every Sunday, uh, teaching truths that are applicable from God's word, also giving the church leadership as senior pastor. I'm grateful to have him back. He and uh, Emily Switzer, Emily Nunn, his wife, they were, they were students at Louisiana Tech BCM when I was the associate director uh, about a decade and a half ago. So uh, he was a student, she was a student, and, uh, and so it's good to be back here in Murray, Kentucky with them uh, again, as I know you are glad to have them. I'm grateful for Westside for your partnership in gospel ministry when it comes to campus ministry at, at Murray State University and beyond. Uh, Westside has always been a faithful partner in ministry. Uh, you have been very kind to uh, loan us facilities with your pavilion when it comes to leadership dinners and cookouts. You've been very kind to uh, host our uh, progressive dinner, which had to be done uh, in drive-in uh, format this year. Uh, and so we had uh, well over 100 college students in your parking lot getting to meet several of our churches and uh, being on campus. So thank you. Uh, not only for that, but also for your faithful giving to the cooperative program. That is one of the things that makes Southern Baptists distinct and unique is the fact that we believe that we can do more together as a Southern Baptist convention than we can individually as churches. So as you give a proportion of your offerings to the cooperative um, program, those monies are then distributed to allow uh, global work to be done through the International Mission Board in North America through the North American Mission Board. Uh, in Kentucky through Sunrise and communications and our seminaries and our campus ministries and so much more. So thank you for that. If you have your Bibles, I would like to direct your attention to the first chapter of the book of Psalms. As you're turning there, I will tell you this morning is going to be, it's going to be pretty, pretty simple when it comes to, there will be three points after each point and uh, they will be just one-word points. There will be uh, a moment to take stock of where we are so that hopefully we can apply what we've been learning from the truths of Scripture. If you're a note-taker, it's an easy morning for you. As you're in Psalms 1, I'd like you to direct your attention to the screen. Again, I'm, um, I'm no young pup, and so my ability to do technology is uh, not that great, but with what limited resources I have, uh, take a look at this, at this graphic that is so cutting edge. If you've, ever been, if you've ever been to a place where they have an escalator that goes down, you're probably tempted to see if you have what it takes to run up that escalator. Uh, I know sometimes when my, my boys and I, we, we go to the Discovery Park, uh, they'll my, my wife has to take the elevator because our youngest is in a stroller. And so my boys uh, will be on the escalator and they'll be in the middle of it and they'll be trying to run up. And then the security guard will blow his whistle. I'm like, all right, boys. Uh, hey, whose kids are these? Um, and 
So if you take a look at this escalator, you will have this down-going escalator, which we will call the world. We will have guy running up said down escalator, which we will call Christian. Up top, the goal is godliness, transformation that comes from the Holy Spirit through Almighty God. And down at the bottom is ungodliness. Now, in this context, we can do one of three things. We can run up this escalator. We have to run faster than the surroundings that try to push or bring us down. The surroundings being temptation to sin, apathy in our relationship with the Lord, apathy when it comes to kingdom ministry, apathy when it comes to evangelism, uh, battling things like false doctrine, lack of spiritual discipline, just disobedience. Another option we can do, if we want to get to the bottom, we can turn and run down the steps. We'll get there very quickly. This, is, this looks like abandoning instruction from the Word of God. It looks like deliberate disobedience and rebellion. It looks like consciously choosing to sin. In essence, what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our third option is we can simply do nothing. If we simply do nothing, if we don't strive towards godliness, and if we don't intentionally abandon the things of the Lord and strive towards ungodliness, if we simply do nothing, we are still going to make our way down to the bottom. Simply doing nothing in our walks with the Lord will not equate to growth in the Lord. In fact, it will do just the opposite. Apathy leads to ungodliness. Passively sitting in the midst of the world will not render the desired results of a life in Christ. So today as we look at Psalm 1, we're going we're gonna to look at three truths of Psalm 1. And hopefully uh, we, will, we will structure our lives around some of these practices so that we can grow in godliness. So that we can go against the waves of the world and culture so that we will make a kingdom impact for the glory of God and the good of his church. So let's take a look at Psalms chapter number 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The first word we're looking at is our position. Our position. Uh, we see positionally two types of people. We see the blessed or the righteous. And we also see the wicked. It's a contrasting uh, definition here. The wicked versus the righteous. So what is the position of the blessed man that we see in verse 1? Blessed is the man. What is his position? What does it mean? It does not necessarily mean that the blessed man or blessed woman will necessarily have an easy life. It doesn't necessarily mean that the, the blessed person will have... Uh, a bunch of material goods and stuff. 
It doesn't necessarily mean great looks or great health or great wealth or prosperity according to the world's standards. It doesn't necessarily mean that God is always going to answer our prayers the way that we think he should. It is our position. It is our standing before God through the work of Christ and our response of faith and, and repentance. Uh, I think it's, it's easy in our culture, especially in the South, uh, to take this mentality of, uh, yeah, I, I go to church. I try to be good. I uh, believe in God. Sure, I'm a Christian. When in actuality, that position uh, is not yet affirmed because there's no faith, there's no belief, there's no repentance. So our position before God as those who are blessed is one of, is one of holy, it's one of redeemed, uh, pure, spotless, forgiven. We are adopted sons and daughters of Almighty God. Uh, when God looks at us as Christians, for those of us who have, by faith, placed our uh, faith in Christ, when God looks at us through the lens of Christ, He sees us as His. He sees us as uh, His sons and daughters. The position of the wicked, the position of the wicked, and you probably are here this morning saying, I'm not wicked. I'm in church on Sunday. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not wicked. He's not even talking to me. But it's less about our behavior, and it's more about our position or our standing. Uh, the position of the wicked, as it relates to us, our position, if we fall into this category, it means that we have not yet come to a place of belief, of repentance, faith, embracing Christ as Savior. And as a result, we are separated from God, destined for an eternity separated from God in hell. It could mean that our behavior is still good according to the world's standards of good, but that our position is still that of separation, wicked. Um, our wickedness might be less about our unrighteousness and more about our self-righteousness, thinking that we can make it to God by our own merit and our own good behavior. So a bit of application. Let's take stock of where you are. Positionally, where do you stand? Are you simply here saying, yeah, I, I believe in God. Yeah, I go to church. I try to be good. Of course I'm saved. Or you may be here saying, you know what? I, I have. I have I've realized who I was as a sinner separated from God in my sinful condition. I knew, I learned who God is and his standards for righteousness. And I learned that only Christ can offer that, that standard of righteousness and satisfy God's wrath on my behalf. Therefore, I have placed my faith in him. I've repented and trusted Christ, embraced him as Savior, and have now crossed over from death to life. So taking stock of where we are, have you come to a place of recognition of who you are as a sinner, who Jesus is as Savior, repenting, believed, confessed that he is Lord, making him master of your life? If so, can you recall when that took place? Can you recall the events and the people surrounding when you realized your need for a Savior and repented? Can you also articulate that to others? If someone came to you and asked you for the hope that you have, could you articulate their need for a Savior and your encounter with Christ and how they can encounter Christ? Taking stock of where you are, if, if you haven't come to a place, uh, regardless of how good or religious you may uh, B, you still fall into the category of wicked. So our first P, our position. Blessed is the man. We have the wicked. We have the righteous. We have the wicked. Positionally. Number two, practice. What is the practice 
of the blessed man, the practice. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That is the practice of those who are in Christ, both delighting and meditating on the word of God. He delights in the law of the Lord, the word of God, and delights in it. The delight is the attitude of the heart. The meditation is the discipline. You may delight in the word of God, but never practice meditation on the word of God. Uh, Or you may meditate on the word of God, but only out of legalistic ritual or um, rote religiosity, and there's no delight. It is always a both and. We delight in the word of God, and as a result, we spend time in the word. We spend time in the word, and as a result of the attitude of our heart, it brings us delight. It's both and. The blessed man, the blessed woman, those who are in Christ, delight in the word of God and practice the discipline of daily. This is consistently, daily. Time with the Lord. This is the attitude of our heart. Uh, We are coming before the creator of the world. We are coming before our savior and sustainer. Uh, We don't take that lightly. To spend time in his word to us and our word to him. It's a basic rhythm of breathing in and breathing out. We take in God's word and we breathe out in prayer God's word back to him because we're praying according to scripture. What does it mean to meditate? What does it mean to meditate? I think sometimes we might immediately think of some kind of Eastern mystic religious experience of of meditation. That's not necessarily the case. It doesn't have to be that 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 mystic of of an experience. But meditation simply uh, means to observe. We 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 look at the word so that it gets into our head. This is the mind component. We absorb the word. Uh, We experience transformation by the word. This it gets into our heart. This is an attitude. This is character. In fact, the word character comes from the word karasa, which means etched in stone. It takes a while to build and develop character, change of heart through the mind, so that we will exhibit the word, so that we will do God's word. It gets into our hands. This is how we respond. This is the active, responsive part on, on us. So the things we allow to enter into our mind will affect the attitude of our heart, which will determine the way we live and behave and function. The things that we allow to enter into our mind will affect the attitude of our heart, which will determine the way we live. So much more reason and importance to be men and women who delight and meditate on the truths of God's word. When we open God's word and mentally uh, look at God's word, allow it to enter into our mind, by the grace of God through his Holy Spirit, it will affect the attitude of our heart and it will transform our character. And then it will affect and determine the way we live and behave and, and function. And apart from consistent time with the Lord daily in his word and prayer, we probably won't be experiencing that type of character transformation and life that, that lines up according to God's word. I have, I have four children. My, my oldest just turned 13 a couple days ago. And then my, my next son is is nine well over the last couple weeks we've been i've been showing them some of the rocky movies uh we first started about two two weeks ago with rocky four 
Uh, and again, this is just from my childhood, the, 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 the way I enjoyed them. So we didn't watch them in order because Rocky 1 is a little slow and Rocky 5 is just dumb. <laughs> Sorry, Sylvester Stallone, if you're watching this. So we watched Rocky 4, we watched Rocky 3, we watched Rocky 2, then we watched Rocky 5, then we watched Rocky Balboa. We ran out of time, so we haven't watched Rocky yet. So this is what happens. My, my 13-year-old, he's a musician. He's, he's an artist. He does piano. He's in, he's in band. Uh, he likes to draw, loves to read. Not so much the athletic or active type. Now, Frazier, my 9-year-old, on the other hand, uh, he never stops. He loves to go and do and be very, very active. So we watched Rocky IV, and my, my oldest, my 13-year-old, Jackson, he decided on his own initiative to take his shirt off and run around the neighborhood. That's about a kilometer. That's, a, that's you know, just shy of a mile. So he, like, ran. And I think he did it again the next day, and he did it again the next day. And then what he did is is he, uh, he and Frazier, they go down to the basement and get these toy boxing gloves. Actually, one's a set of boxing gloves, another one's a big puffy set of John Cena fists. And they, they, in the basement, they create this boxing ring, and they take an Allen wrench and a tin can to make a bell, and they start going at one another. They're laughing, giggling, having the best time, punching each other. They're all red and sweaty and topless. And so what had happened was we had watched Rocky. We'd watched Rocky 4, 3, 2, uh, 5, and Balboa. And what happened was the things that entered into their mind was, was uh, transforming the attitude of their heart. They like, legitimately thought that like Apollo and Rocky did in, um, in Rocky Three, sprinting down the beach, that, that, that they could be transformed into that type of physique. It takes a little time there. Um, and so their actions reflected what they had been watching, what they had been thinking about themselves, and it was made manifest in the fact that they thought that they were legit boxers. Same as it is with God's word. Uh, we need to be men and women as those who are positionally in Christ. We need to be practicing daily time with the Lord in the word and prayer. So that the things that enter into our mind, God's word, will affect the attitude of our heart, our character, transformed by the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. So that when we live, when we function, when we interact, when we uh, when we have opportunity to encounter others, we're doing so in a way that lines up with God's word, who he's called us to be as Christ's followers. So application. Let's take stock of where we are when it comes to our practice. To what degree are you delighting in the word of God? And how is that made manifest by your meditation on the word of God? The daily time with the Lord in the word and prayer. You might delight in the word, but hardly ever do anything about it. You also might be consistent to, hey, I've never missed a quiet time. Let me check that off of my religious things to do. Um, the meditation component, but there's no joy or delight. It's just legalistic ritual. Again, it's always a both and. Where are you when it comes to both the delighting and meditating on the word? And then third, we have our position, we have our practice, now let's look at the product. What is the product of the blessed man who practices meditating and delighting in the word of God? The product is that of fruit. He produces. The result of the blessed man who opts not to partake of the things of the world, but the things of the Lord, delighting in his word, meditating on it consistently. The first result is that ultimately God is glorified. Ultimately God is glorified because 
God is, it's God's glory through God's word, by God's spirit, because of God's son. So when we as Christ followers are delighting, meditating on, and living out God's word, God is glorified. And the second result of that is for our own good. As a Christian, it's for our good. Uh, like a tree planted by streams of water. Uh, it yields fruit. There's growth that takes place. Uh, leaves do not wither. Uh, we're not growing stale. And we're prospering, we're, we're, we're prospering in all we do because we're doing so in an honorable way that lines up with Scripture. It's honorable to the Lord. You know, you think about this tree... You think about what you see on this tree. You see the fruit and you see the, the fresh, crisp leaves that don't wither. But what's taking plate, place underneath the surface where we don't see is the root system. We don't see the root system, but this tree is planted by streams of, of living water, not stale, stagnant water, but by streams of water. And those roots are going to the source for life. And that's why there's fruit being produced. Because uh, where we can't see the roots is consistently going to the source of life so that what we can see is fruit and uh, crisp, fresh leaves. And so where are you in your own walk with the Lord? The, 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 the places where people don't see in the privacy of your home and your prayer closet, is it, is it being impacted by what people do see as you live your life, as you carry on conversations with others? So the product of the blessed man, he's first, God is glorified, second, um, it's for our good and growth and sanctification. And thirdly, it is for the encouragement of others. When we're observing God's word, when we're absorbing God's word, and we're, when we're exhibiting God's word, uh, we will not be all about ourselves. We will be others-focused, and that will greatly be to the good of others when it comes to biblical community as we function together as God's church with one another, spurring one another on, holding one another accountable, doing life together with one another in Bible study and uh, prayer with and for one another. And it will also be for others' encouragement when it comes to the way we go out, when, when it comes to the way we uh, evangelize, and when it comes to the way we invest who God is making us into the lives of others in our context of work and school and neighborhoods and uh, social uh, civic organizations. In fact, uh, the song that Miss Janice just sang painted a beautiful picture of the fact that uh, was the church living missionally right across the street from someone who was going through a difficult time? And I wish there was, I wish there was a happy ending to that song. But in reality, there can be a happy ending to how we respond. So it's for the, for the encouragement of others. So application when it comes to the product. If your life were depicted as a tree, are you one that is producing fruit? Are you more like Christ and transformed by the Holy Spirit of him in this season, more so than you were in the previous season of life? Or are your limbs fruitless and your leaves dry and withery? So, in response, some things to ponder and, and think about as we close. What are some areas in which you are walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of mockers? You may recognize I'm intentionally doing some of these things. Are you willing to turn from those postures and behaviors, confessing that, repenting of that, and seeking accountability for those things? What steps are you taking in order to be a, a man or a woman 
of the word and filling your mind with the things of him this daily time with the lord in the word and prayer uh, structuring your life around these disciplines so that you can both delight and meditate collectively in the word of god are you directing your mind to him daily and how is that determining the attitude of your heart and how does that affect your behavior Maybe you're here this morning and realize that positionally, you still fall into the category of the, of the wicked. You might not necessarily be a bad person when it comes to the world's standards of, of bad people. But because you've yet to repent and by faith believe that Jesus is who God says he is. And what history proves he did for our redemption through his, his death and burial and resurrection. Perhaps today's the day when you put a stake in the ground and go all in when it comes to today being the day of salvation, following Christ uh, from this day forward. I'm going to pray, and then I trust as we um, respond through music that you will do business as the Lord leads. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, thank you that you have given us everything we need through your word for life and godliness. Lord, thank you for the transformation that comes from your Holy Spirit through your revealed word by your Son, Jesus Christ, for your glory. I pray, Lord, that, that you would give us the grace and the intentionality to, to take stock of where we are, to see if we truly have come to a place of repentance and faith, believing on Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us the resolve and the discipline and the intentionality to carve out times to spend with you daily in your word. Father, I pray that uh, as your word gets into us, that it would transform us, and then it would impact the way we live and function uh, with those around us and with one another. God, I thank you for this time that we've had together this morning to worship. And Lord, may... Uh, the truth of these words that you penned so many years ago. Lord, may they not just go in one ear and out the other. But Lord, may we take stock in um, what they mean. And may we live uh, appropriately and accordingly. And may we do this for your glory and by your strength that empowers and enables us. And we pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.